Amen. Morning, everyone. Morning. Don't know where to begin today. So many good things happening. Great that Pete and Rose are getting married. You know what they say? That before a man is married, he's incomplete. And when he's married, he's finished. Thank you. You know, um, we broke bread. If you're not used to breaking bread and understanding what it's about, it's about the fact that Jesus died on a cross in our place, our substitute. He took our sin on himself so that we could stand before the Father. Those that are called on the name of Jesus, believed on the name of Jesus, can have the righteousness of God given to them. So God wants to have a relationship with you. If you, um, if you didn't know that, and if you'd like to know more about that, then please come and see us at the end. We'd like to talk about that. Um, yes, it's Mother's Day today. Some people find that a very difficult thing. Some people say it's just commercial. But I understand it's a problem for some people. But I was thinking about Anna, the prophetess. I don't know if you know who she is. She's a woman that lived in the temple and when Jesus was brought as a baby for uh, the ritual that went on after eight days um, she held him and she saw him I just wrote a little thing about this a woman approached the door with trepidation should she knock or go straight in she knocked the door was answered by a pallid youth a young man who is right to say that it looked as if he'd never been outside to sample the sun. What do you want? His irritation coming to the fore when he saw it was a woman. I want to bring you the word of the Lord, she said. He appeared shocked at first, then the Dutch courage of his training came into effect. You what? What do you know of the word of God? You expect me to believe that God spoke to you you're not clean like us. Why, just today I spent hours in the temple obeying the laws, reading the laws, and you're a woman. You can't come in here, woman. This is for Pharisees only. How dare you ask to talk to us, he continued. We're the chosen ones. Why would God speak to you when we are here? The woman was silent for a moment. I don't know the answer to why he gave me his word, she said. But I wanted to tell you that I've seen the Messiah, the consolation of Israel. I thought you would rejoice with me. I've lived in the temple for all these years, and wonder of wonders, he allowed me to see him. I don't know what you're talking about, he shouted. Be on your way or I'll call the temple guard. And he closed the door in her face. Who was that one of the Pharisees asked? Just that old woman, Anna daughter of Phanuel, some of the people call her a prophetess. I call her a nuisance. Fancy that, expecting me to believe that she'd heard from God. And worst of all, she's a woman. You know, in Chase, we value every person regardless of gender. We believe that God can and does give ministries and gifts regardless of sex, age, ethnicity, whether you're a slave or free. If you're in Christ, then you're part of the body. And Paul was 
wrote about this in Galatians chapter 3. I'll read it to you. Very famous verse, but we need to take it on board. Someone can read Galatians again. I'm always doing that. They get up in the night and change my Bible around. Here it is. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Of course, in the world there are distinctions, and there are natural distinctions, but in Christ we're not subject to them in the same way. So we don't make a big thing out of Mother's Day in a way. We uh, prefer to celebrate all the women and the girls of Chase. And here's a question for you. Why is the Holy Spirit like a mother? Why is the Holy Spirit like a mother? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the Holy Spirit brings things to birth. It's the Spirit of God that brings things to birth. The truths that Jesus taught are applied to us by the Holy Spirit. And they are given to us to change us, to empower us, to equip us, to use us. And you know, the Spirit of God broods over us. Did you know that? And all the things of God's kingdom. We won't go back to it, but, well, actually, I'll read it to you. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, Something has happened before this because in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I can't imagine him creating them anything that was less than perfect. But something happened in between that ruined it. It's because he says the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving or brooding over the surface of the waters. Do you sometimes feel spiritually broody? I know ladies feel broody. They pick up a baby and they start saying, oh, shall we have another one? <laughs> so husbands ban your wives from doing that. That's my advice. Um, but there's something broody. Do you ever feel spiritually broody? Do you just feel that there's something that needs to be born in you, something that needs a, a birth? a ministry, a gift, uh, a desire that's there, the more of God. That's the Spirit of God brooding over you. And all I can say is, let him bring whatever it is to birth, because he will. Now this morning, I'm going to put my head in a noose, because I have to come good on what I preach. Okay, I have to live what I preach. Otherwise, it's no good. So if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to have a very brief look at a verse that's there that says, Husbands, love your wives. Okay? Anyone who wants to leave can run out now. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, indeed. Wait until I finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this passage is a lovely passage. And sometimes we get caught up with women being subject and various things like that. But it's a lovely passage and it's twofold. Paul relates it as a spiritual truth and principle 
he wants to talk about these things. But it's as if, as he starts to do it, he says there's a parallel here of that which should be walked out and worked out between a husband and his wife. So there's the two things. I want to deal with them, uh, the spiritual truth, if you like, and the practical outworking for our relationships. Now, if you're not married, don't worry. Don't, but don't forget that this is a spiritual truth first. So you can be just as blessed. It applies regardless. Ask the Holy Spirit to apply it as he will. Um, I've pinched a few phrases from Eugene Peterson's The Message, if anyone reads that at all. I think he does it, writes it very well. So we're going to start this. Are you ready? Ready, men? Okay. Husbands, love your wives, he says in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. We'll go a bit further in a minute. Husbands, love your wives. You think that's a strange thing to say. It's not actually. It's not, not at all the case that this would occur to some men. All right? It's not the case that this would occur to some men. In many non-Western societies, nations, the concept of marrying for love is just simply not there. It's not something that they think about. It doesn't inform their thinking and the marriage market. Indeed, uh, they'll, marry for, they'll marry for convenience, for sex, for children, for duty, for social standing. They're all concepts that inform their thinking. You can see it in the way that sometimes in some places it is like a marriage market. Daughters are betrothed to men whom they've never met. Now, that's not to say that these relationships don't work. We shouldn't always think that our, our way of doing it is the best way. Uh, arranged marriages often are very, very successful. But I'm saying that it's not the same for us with our Western uh, sensibilities. It's anathema to some. We use romanticism as the basis of marriage. You know, their eyes met over a crowded prayer meeting. Uh, what I'd like to know is what are they doing having their eyes open in a prayer meeting? Not a good thing. But it was love at the first amen, shall we say. But you know, we only have to go back to Jane Austen's day, which is not long, a couple of hundred years, to find Elizabeth Bennet, you know who I'm talking about? Yes, in Pride and Prejudice. Elizabeth Bennet being the odd one out because she wanted to marry for love. And the thought of marrying Darcy until love came along, wasn't there. Didn't matter about the 10,000 a year he earned, which would be millions now. So God's command to love your wives is actually relevant. It's relevant, and he explains how. I'll use that same phrase again, husbands love your wives. Why? Because God's motivation is love. God didn't have to love us. But he was motivated by love. Look at 1 John chapter 4. This describes love. And this comes from a man who is at the end of his life writing to the saints. He's seen it all. 
And in 1 John chapter 4, we'll start from verse 7, shall we? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation on the mercy seat for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is love. God wasn't returning our love when he decided to love us because we didn't have any. We'd never loved him. We didn't care about him. We took no thought for him. It's only when God stirs our heart in these things. He wasn't returning our love, but he loved us because he is love. He is love. And it's a truth to grasp that God is love. When you grasp it, it releases all kinds of areas in your life. There can be many areas and many things that have been affected by your lack of love or understanding of love. But to understand that God is love. If you, know, if you cut a tree down, you can see the circles in the middle and you see what makes up the tree. If you could cut God in half, you'd find love in the centre. Because God is love. This is the force that propels us. It's the force that compels us to go on. Love. We should be lovers. Now, I hope that we're known as a church full of love, that people come here. Now, that doesn't mean to say there's not difficulties and differences and various things, but basically when people come away from here, do they come away with a sense that these people love? They love. Now, Paul says, what about husbands? Well, husbands, you should be motivated towards your wife by love. It's very simple. Cultivate it. Express it. Let her know that you love her. Don't make her unsure of your love. You're married because you love her. You may be sitting there thinking, well, this is obvious. Yeah, I know it's obvious. It's not obvious to everyone. It's not obvious to everyone. You should be loving your wife like this. Let's go on. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. We're to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And we're to love the church. What, this lot? Yes. Well, I can love a little bit, but, but that's why you're a member of the church. You know, you're a member when you believe on Jesus, not when you sign on the dotted line saying, I belong to Chase or something like that. You're a member automatically when God saves you. You're, you're in the church. So it's no good saying, well, I don't go to this church or that church because I don't want the responsibility of being involved with these people. You are involved. You are involved already. You want it blessed if you're involved because you're part of it. So don't neglect it. Ensure its welfare. The church here, ensure its welfare. And another thing, be careful not to speak against the church. Now, that doesn't mean to say you can't say, I'm fed up with this or that, or I wish this could change that. 
That's not what it's talking about. The church, it says here, is the apple of God's eye. So I have an obligation, if I want to please the Lord, to not neglect and to be careful not to speak against the church in that sense. I hear people moaning about the church. Not our church, of course. No one here. <laughs> no one here is a moaner and no one would moan about us. We're all perfect. Um, but you hear these things, people moaning. And I think, don't you realise that this is the apple of God's eye? He loves this. He loves bunches of people that are getting together and praying, worshipping him. They don't do it the same way as we do. So what? It doesn't matter. Maybe they need to learn a little. Maybe we could learn a little. I don't know. But God loves the church. Now, husbands, your wife's welfare is in your hands. Did you know that? There's an old word that we don't use so much these days. It's in the wedding service. It's cherish. I love that word. It's, it's a round... You know, some words, you know, you just, you have a picture of a word. Do you, or is it just me going mad? You know, you, you have a picture. For me, cherish is fullness and abundance and dripping with grace and everything like that. Cherish her. Make her your priority. That's what it says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And the third thing is he says he gave himself up for her. Jesus sacrificed himself, according to this, for the church. But I thought Jesus died for me. Yeah, he did, but because you're part of the church. So Jesus sacrificed himself for the church. The cross, the grave, the separation from the Father, all of that was necessary to enable God to use the church to speak to people, to bring them to a new birth, to be born again. All of those things were necessary and Jesus took every step on the road so that this would happen. We only come to Jesus, you know, because he made a way. And this is the way he did it. He sacrificed himself. He sacrificed himself for the church. It cost him. You know what it cost him? As Matt said, cost everything. Cost everything. Yet he did it for us. Well, husbands, that means we give ourselves sacrificially for our wives. So we give a love that's marked by giving. Not what I can get, but what I can give. Not what I can get, but what I can give. <coughs> we had a situation true story lady came she had a stiff neck so we said why have you got a stiff neck I said because I sleep next to an open window so me being of ever practical sort of solutions to things why not shut the window I can't do that because my husband likes fresh air and likes the window open at night more practical solutions let him sleep next to the window and you sleep away from the window. Oh, he won't do that. Why won't he do it? Because he gets a stiff neck. <laughs> so, I mean, I, my mind's boggling by now. If you want the window open, sleep next to it. 
That's my advice. If you want something like that, you've got to be sacrificial towards your wife. It's the obligation of what the scripture says here in Ephesians. Give yourself up for her. Give yourself up. Goes on. He set her apart. You know, the church is like no other. It's not a glee club, as the Americans would call it, or a social club. We are the people of God. And exactly as Matt said as well, that will not please everyone. People don't always like that. But we've been set apart by Jesus. That's what the word sanctified means, set apart. You know, the Bible says we're a peculiar people. Some more peculiar than others. But we're not a cult, we're not a sect, but we are the people of God who live by different rules. When people say, well, you know, there are some people within the church that say we need to modernise, well, I'm all for that. We need to relate to people, I'm all for that. But we have to change everything to be like them. No, we don't. We don't. We are a people who live by different rules, and God gives the rules. You take the book of Acts, right at the beginning... Imagine this, Jesus has come, he's died on the cross, he's been resurrected and ascended, the Holy Spirit falls, and there's loads of people that are there, for the, for the uh, loads of Jews particularly, for the Feast of Pentecost. They've come. They hear the gospel preached. First of all, they see these madmen in the street, and they think they're drunk, and then Peter stands up and says, they're not drunk, this is what God said. And all these people who come up for the celebrations were, were people that were God-centred and interested and they said, tell us more. And Peter said, this is how you get saved. And he tells them the gospel and they become, they believe. And now they all stay on. They don't want to go home because they've received the Holy Spirit. And the last thing they want to do is go back to where they came from. They want to stay. So the place is packed with all these people. And this is the church. So what do they do? The church looks for practical solutions. And they had a virtual community living. Of necessity, these people were running out of money. But something happened. They ate together, they lived together, they prayed together, they studied together. And do you know what else they did? They turned the world upside down. They lived in a way that was different from anything else. Other people would have said, you're mad feeding these people. Why are you feeding these people? You'd hardly know them. But they're brothers in Christ now. That's different. So we have to be different as Christ loved the church. Now, husbands, my advice is set your wife apart. That may sound a strange thing to say, but let her know that she's the one and only, or she should be anyway, but let her know that. She's the one and only. Separate her, uh, separate her out as being special. In other words, spoil her. I was speaking in a conference in Germany. I think I've told you this story before, but bear with me. I was speaking at a mission conference in Germany, about four or 500 people there. The night before, I had stayed with the leader of the mission who I'd never met before. And no, I'd met him, but I'd never stayed with him before. Met his dear wife. And the room that they gave me had a, a television in it, an old television. They didn't watch the television much. But 
this television, they'd been watching a series on Martin Luther. Well, uh, they, they talked about this series, and when we had, we had dinner, and uh, this series with Martin Luther was coming on, I said, look, please go and watch the next instalment. It won't trouble me to be here. I, I won't understand it anyway, it's in German. So please go and do that, and I'll sit here. I've got plenty to do. I'll read a book or something. So after much persuading of the wife particularly, I had to really persuade her, they went and watched it. While they watched it, I washed up. It was a very small dinner. There wasn't much to wash up, nothing that, you know, no hundreds of pots and pans. I washed up. When they came down and the wife saw that I'd washed up, she nearly had a fit. You can't wash up. You're my guest in my house. You can't do that. And I said, it's only a few things. At the conference, I stood up to preach and the leader of the mission got up and he said to me, oh, he said to the people, I know this is a man of God. I've rarely met him, but I do know here is a man of God. I'm feeling about this big by now, so I don't like those things. Here is a man of God. I know because he washed up in our house last night when we did this. <laughs> After that meeting, all the ladies were coming out, <laughs> queuing up <laughs> to shake my hand, <laughs> and all the men ignored me. <laughs> It was so pointed, you could see it. The German, the average German man in those days was not, didn't do the washing up. But it was a funny thing. But spoiler, spoil your wife. You know, people notice these things. It says, cleanse her by the washing of water by the word. Well, Jesus keeps us clean, particularly by his word. So we have to be a church of the word, you know. We have to be a church of the word. How many of you study the Bible? I mean, I'm not saying that you read the Bible every day. That's very good. But how many of you sit down and say, that's an interesting word. Let's follow that through a bit. How many of you got bookshelves that have got a few study books on? Or, of course, you can get it so easily on the net now. But I wonder how many of you do it. We need to be people that are to make up a church of the word. We need that. We need to read it, study it, live by it. Why should I? I'll tell you why. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 12, I'm butting in in the middle of a great part. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know, I was in the meat trade, uh, importing and exporting large quantities. I wasn't a butcher. But I used to be down at Smithfield Market sometimes and the blokes down there, uh, the cutters, were experts. They'd have a knife that's about that long, well-worn, where they sharpen it every time, every cut they sharpen it. And they would cut a piece of meat and they'd cut out the fillet and they'd go around the sirloin 
and they go down to the rump and they cut out the less valuable pieces. If you cut in the wrong place, you're cutting out your profit. But these guys were experts at doing that. It says here that the, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two, so, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It can, the word of God gets in between what's soul in you and what's spirit in you. Nothing else will do that. You can't judge it yourself, but the word of God does it. And it's vital that we know the word and use the word because it gives us life. And I'd like to say this about husbands. Let your words evoke her beauty. I pinched that straight from Peterson. Let your words evoke her beauty. I like that. Praise her often. Don't criticise endlessly or compare. Let your words be as ointment to the soul. Sometimes I don't like the way that people talk about their partner or talk to their partner. I hate people who have rows in front of me, uh, although I've seen a few in talking in marriage situations. Um, I've sat in a meeting where there's televisions flying over my head as they threw things at each other. Um, but your words are important. Your words are important. It's, it's important that we don't say things like, you always, you don't always, you always criticise me when I take out the rubbish. You always criticise me when, we, when I'm driving. I, don't let those things come. Watch your words, because your words mean life to her. Okay? Your words mean life to her. Comparisons are a bad thing as well. We're always laughing about that in comparisons. We compare ourselves to other people. It's not a good thing. It's not healthy to do that. And if you're a husband, don't compare your wife to someone else. Because your words can cut deep into her life. So be careful what you say. So we've done the cleansing by washing with the word for the purpose that he might present to himself a church without spot or wrinkle. There's a lady who looked in the mirror and she said, look at me. I've got wrinkles under my eyes, bags, my skin's no good, I've got a moustache, all these things. Say something kind to me, she said to her husband. He said, well, Nothing wrong with your sight. <laughs> Jesus makes the church presentable. That's what Paul says. And you know, there's coming a day when the whole world will gasp at the church's beauty. We're going to be made beautiful. Don't ask me what it's going to be like, but people are going to stop and look and say, this is beautiful because it's something that God has done with his church. He's going to make a church without spot or wrinkle. Husbands, make your wife presentable. By that I mean bring the best out of her and show her that you're proud of her. 
show that you're proud of her. I'm proud of my wife. I got the pick of the bunch. I'm very proud of her. And it's good that you say these things and do these things one to another. Now, holy and blameless, I'm not going to talk about because they speak for themselves in a way. We've got to be holy and blameless. But show, husbands, show that she's your pride and joy. Your pride and joy. Why? He goes on to say it's common sense for you to love your wife because she's part of you now. You've become a unit together. And no one hates themselves, so nourish your wife. He's very practical in what he's saying. No one hates themselves. And you and your wife, you're one. When you're married, you're one. So no one hates, hates himself. So hating your wife is hating yourself. Let's just read on a little bit more. Over the page. I'm going to read from the beginning again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. We're to leave and cleave. That's what he says, very wise, not holding on to parents. Don't hold on to your parents. It's often a cause of trouble. Your parents are wonderful people, I'm sure of that. But we're to leave and cleave, not stay. But remember, this is a picture, firstly, of Christ and the church, but it's a guide to husbands of how to live with your wife. Now, one last verse I should read. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife as himself. And the wife, who's been grinning, thinking, next time he says something, I'm going to quote Ken to him. <laughs> Wives, see to it that she respects her husband. That's the other side of the coin. Respect your husband. But I've found that husbands, are, the way I've described them, have wives who are devoted to them because who wouldn't want to follow a man who's like that? As I, I, I'm not a woman, but I'm speaking for the women. Isn't that what you're looking for? Someone who's going to treat you like that? Someone who is just like Christ in these things, doing all these things? So I believe that any wife with a husband trying to live this way cannot help but love a man like this. You can tell me afterwards if I'm wrong, but that's what I've found. Often it's the spirituality in a man that a woman will appreciate first, amongst all the other things. We've got lots of attributes, us men. Yeah. But that's what's happened. So now I've got to go home and try and live up to it.
Fortunately, we're not going to have a report back on how I did. Could try harder. I found some old reports of one of my sons. I gave them to him the other day. I just kept them. I said, look, here. There's a lot of could try harders and things like that in there that he has to now keep from his kids. Otherwise, if they see it, they'll say, see? All these things you told us. But God wants us to have a relationship that is like that. I'm trying to be practical in all those things, but it's not the total story at all. You have to learn to live together, learn to live one with another, and all those things. But if we stick with what the Word of God says here, I don't think we can go wrong. Let's just pray, shall we? Thank you, Father. Father, we bless you for being so good to us and teaching us your ways. Lord, we want to ask that you'll help us men to really fulfill this picture that's here. Lord, it's such a high reach to reach to the standard of Jesus in all these things. But Lord, you've promised to help us and by your spirit to teach us. And Lord, we pray that you'll enable us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And Lord, for the wives to respect their husbands and there to be something that's so harmonious it draws people when they come and they say, look at these people, they really love one another and care for one another. Father, we ask you to brood over us by your spirit this morning. Lord, you're bringing things to birth in people. Lord, we remember that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. Lord, we remember that he's the one on the cross saved us. And we want to pray that everyone here has an understanding of that. A true understanding that leads them into bowing the knee to Jesus, receiving his life and his spirit. So Father, we just commit ourselves to you now. Thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, we pray for the ladies in our church. Us men, Lord, we pray together. Bless them mightily. Lord, use them mightily. We appreciate them for all that they do. Lord, we love them. Lord, bless them. In Jesus' name. Amen.